0: There was a fill-in preacher who was visiting a congregation in the evening. Uh, one evening, he came in to you know, fill in for the preacher who was out of town, and he began his lesson by saying, I have an important subject to present tonight. I hardly know where to start. And at that point, a young boy in the front row said, well, if you don't mind, can you start somewhere towards the end? You know, uh, uh, another story sort of on that vein that there was a preacher that I know of who was preaching a lesson on the return of Jesus. And he did this great uh, object lesson for the congregation because he really wanted to get them to emphasize or, or to emphasize, you know, the suddenness of it, that Jesus is going to come back as a thief in the middle of the night. We just don't know when that's going to happen. And so what they did was, uh, the preacher offered the, the invitation before the sermon, before the lesson. He offered the invitation, and then he got up and preached. He had his wife in the front row set an alarm clock for him. Uh, he had no idea when it was going to go off. And so she happened to set it for about 12 minutes and 30 seconds. And he's up there preaching on the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And his intentions were is that when that alarm went off... He was going to stop mid-sentence, wherever it might have been in that lesson, and just go and sit down. And again, that was a lesson to, again, uh, show the, that we just don't know when Christ is coming back. It could be at any moment. Again, there was a, it was a great object lesson for the congregation. You know, I'm sure if I were to do a lesson like that, I'm sure I'd have a lot of volunteers who would like to uh, keep time that morning so that they can set it to whatever they'd like. But the, the lesson this morning, I've entitled The Gospel in Five Seconds, and this lesson isn't necessarily original to me. I know a lot of preachers have preached lessons similar to this, and this, this title is sort of a play on words. You know, no, I'm not going to be literally preaching a five-second sermon. Uh, but, you know, because obviously it's going to take more than five seconds to proclaim the gospel to uh, individuals. But I'm proposing to you this morning is that the gospel can be preached in five seconds. And, you know, if that still doesn't make sense initially, uh, I think it's going to become clear as we begin this lesson. Again, I'm not talking about any sort of measurement of time, but my hope is that these points. Uh, could use, you could use well in your uh, evangelistic approach. Uh, when you're talking about the gospel, the good news to others, you know, maybe these five points will come to mind, these five seconds uh, about the gospel, uh, about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the first point I want to make is that the gospel is contained in the second covenant. You know, your Bibles that you have this morning, you know, we're familiar that they have 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And though, you know, we see complete unity throughout, right, uh, uh, 40, over 40 men of a period of 15 to 1600 years, uh, individuals who were farmers, uh, who were uh, prophets, who were priests, who were kings, who were fishermen. uh, They all had their opportunity to to write some of the, the, the pages within the inspired text and yet we see this, you know, this complete unity within the book from uh, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But, you know, there's that divide in the middle right? uh, that we sometimes refer to as the New Testament and the Old Testament or, or the, the old promise and the new promise. The, the first law, the second law or, or uh, the first covenant and the second covenant. You know, I like what one preacher uh, used to teach. He would he used to say that the Old Testament was the rule of faith and practice for fleshly Israel. But the New Testament is the rule of faith and practice for spiritual Israel. And of course, that's the church, spiritual Israel. To a lot of people you know, who are maybe are not familiar with the Bible, they just see it as this one long, continuous book, and maybe that it applies to all people, uh, anywhere you pick it up, and we, some, and we might not understand the differences in those covenants. You know, those who have put on Christ in baptism, you know, we often refer to ourselves as New Testament Christians. You know, again, Genesis through Malachi, the Old Testament, contains promises to the nation of Israel, right? Romans 15, verse 4 tells us, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Through the, and those things are good. Those things are, are well to learn and understand. To go back into the Old Testament, there's still important things. But the point is, I'm not regulated by those. As New Testament Christians, it's the second covenant that I'm under, that I'm following. Via Jesus' death on the cross, Colossians 2 verse 14 tells us, The old covenant was nailed to the cross. And so then a new testament has now gone into effect. You know, and we could think of well, if the first testament, if the first covenant was still in play for God's people today, then why are we not worshiping on the Sabbath? Why are we not offering animal sacrifices? You know, who brought a young goat to worship this morning with them? Or burning of incense. You know, again, these things, are we ignoring these things or has a new uh, law been put in place? Have these things changed? Uh, Again, we need to remember that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was a command or commands given to uh, another people. Now, even within the Old Testament, especially in Jeremiah 31, and that's where I'm going to be here in a second, in Jeremiah chapter 31, the Old Testament God says that there will be another covenant, a new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31, the prophet begins this through the inspiration of God. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and their sin. I will remember no more. You know, God is saying in these passages is, you know, this first covenant, this first promise that I made to Abraham, to to the, to the Israelite nation, it's not going to be around forever. A Second law will be given. Again, this first law is for the Jewish nation. Another law will come. And we see that quite a bit in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, uh, the, the passage in Jeremiah is used quite a bit in chapters 8, 9, and 10 by the author of the book of Hebrews. He says in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 13, that you know, if that first covenant was faultless, you know, there would be no need for another Yet we know that the the old law, although it was a good law, it was not perfect. Uh, He he tells us in chapter 10, verse 4, that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. And so yet there had to be another covenant, a a better covenant, a better promise. And that promise, of course, was Jesus Christ. The Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 15, says, For this reason... He is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force when the one who made it lives. Of course, we know that Jesus Christ lived during under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. But at his death, his death on the cross, a new covenant, his covenant, a second covenant was enacted. You know, if I want to know this morning where, um, you know, where where do I go within Scripture to know how to live a life pleasing to God? If I want to know how to get to heaven, if I want to know where to find salvation, are those answers in the law of Moses? no. No, because there is a better covenant. There is a New Testament. And I need to look in the second covenant. Again, the law of Christ. We find the gospel contained in the second covenant. Secondly, we find the gospel commanded by a second birth. Uh, Turn with me to John chapter 3 for a moment. In John chapter 3, we have the account of this man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of the the great examples within Scripture of of an individual who we see uh, his Christianity growing uh, throughout uh, the book of John. He's only mentioned in the book of John. He's mentioned in John chapter 3, John chapter 7, and John chapter 19. And each time we read about him, his faith is growing in Christ. And so let's notice this first encounter he has with Jesus in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says this Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a man of high standing, he comes to Jesus by night. You know, a lot of commentators say that he did that because maybe he didn't want to be seen uh, Uh, talking to uh, this man, Jesus. And so he comes by the cover of night and Jesus tells him that unless one is born again, uh, born a second time, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, In verse four, we see Nicodemus is a little confused. He's thinking physical. How can a man enter his mother's womb again, he says. But Jesus again directs him to the spiritual side in verse five and reiterates what it means to be born again. He says, "Unless you are born of the water and the spirit, unless you have this spiritual birth that takes place, you cannot see the kingdom of God." And that's what Jesus is teaching here to Nicodemus in John chapter three is that a second birth is necessary to be a child of God. You know all of us here this morning, we've all taken place of that first birth, right? That's the product of our parents. But to get to heaven, Jesus says, we must be born not only physically. But spiritually, of the water and the Spirit. Well, the water's role, uh, you know, that's quite simple. We understand that. It's evident that that, that Jesus is talking about baptism, right? Immersion in water. And then he gives us the role of the Holy Spirit. Remember in John chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus... He's talking to his disciples and he tells them that at some point that he's going to have to go away and that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to guide them into all truths. You know, he's going to tell them what they need to know and that comforts the disciples. Then, well, operating through the word of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we see uh, uh, sometimes in Scripture begats or, 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 or some are born through the word of God. 1 Peter chapter one verse twenty three, uh, Peter mentions this. He says, "For you, uh, talking to Christians, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Right? We are begat, uh, we are born again by the word of God. And in First Corinthians chapter four verse fifteen, Paul says, uh, says I." Uh, was your father in the gospel or some translations say i begat you through the gospel the gospel message the holy spirit had a role in providing us the gospel message and so uh, to become a child of god we are commanded to to take place the second birth uh, to be born again of water and the spirit And God's word through the Holy Spirit is that spiritual seed that, you know, it impacts the human heart. Right. When we hear the word of God, it convicts us. It pierces our heart. Again, one must take place in the second birth to see the kingdom of God. And that, again, is part of the good news. It's contained in the second covenant. It's contained in the second birth. And also it's offered in a second law of pardon. You know, that's not a term we use too much, the law of pardon. So let me explain this t- to you. you. Remember back when you got your driver's license for the first time? You know, maybe you're about 16 years old and you go down and what do you have to do? You've got to you know, take a, some written tests. You've got to listen to an instructor. You've got to take a road test. And after you're, you're found proficient in those things, you get a license, right? You get a driver's license. Um, but after, you know, so many years, that driver's license what happens to it? It expires. Right? You have to go and renew it. Now, do you have to go and take the classes all over again? Do you have to take the driver's test all over again? Well, of course not. You know, we simply pay a small fee and then we have it renewed. See, there is a different law for a person who has never had a license versus a person who has had a license and just simply needs to renew it. You know, two laws for the, the same thing, you know, driving within the state of Kentucky. Well, well, in Acts chapter 2, and let's go there because we're going to look in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, the gospel message is preached the first time by Peter. Right? Uh, this is the first gospel sermon. We, all, we often talk about this. And the Jews, of course, they were convicted by this message. Uh, You know, they found out that the man that they had hung on the cross was was the Messiah, was Jesus the Christ. And of course, they asked, you know, what must we do? Uh, What shall we do? And remember, Peter is preaching to non-Christians. He's preaching to those who have never gotten their driver's license. And he tells them in Acts 2 verse 38 what they must do. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, he tells them to repent and be baptized. And 3,000 individuals that day we know did that. They, they obeyed the first law of pardon. Right? They became Christians. They were added to the church. They were saved from their sins. But as a Christian... We know that we are not perfect, right? We stumble, we fall from time to time. We're going to make mistakes. Maybe some of our bad habits are going to show up once in a while and we're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to transgress God's law. And so think of those 3,000 souls in Acts chapter 2 who obeyed the gospel. You know, when they happen to transgress God's law going forward, when they happened to sin, did they go back to Peter and ask to be baptized again? For every single transgression that they make? Well, no. See, that's the advantage of the second law of pardon for the Christian. Uh, uh, to renew your driver's license, if you will. You don't have to take the driver's test again. right? You don't have to be baptized again. But, but we're going to find out here in Acts chapter 8 what the Christian must do. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, you know, the, the gospel is starting to spread throughout the world, uh, the known world. And uh, Philip, who's uh, this isn't the Apostle Philip, but this is the evangelist Philip, one of the six or one of the seven in Acts chapter six who were chosen. And so he is going into Samaria and he is preaching Jesus. And one of the converts, if you remember, was a man by the name of Simon. Uh, We often remember him as Simon the sorcerer. And this man, he was practicing magic. He was pretending to be someone great. But when he heard Philip preach that gospel message, he was converted. He was pierced to the heart. He believed and he became a Christian. Look at Acts chapter 8 verses 12 and 13. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. So Simon becomes a Christian. Uh, The next few verses, we're told that Peter and John, the apostles, they come to Samaria now because the gospel is starting to spread. So they come to Samaria as apostles. They have the ability to lay their hands on individuals and give them the Holy Spirit. Simon sees them doing these things. Simon sees uh, Peter and John giving the Holy Spirit to other individuals. And he wants that. He wants that ability. And so he asks to purchase it, to purchase with money, the ability to bestow the Holy Spirit on on other individuals. But he sins by offering that money. Notice in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 20. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Notice verse 22. This is what he's instructed to do. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intentions of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Peter is basically telling, listen, Simon, you are about to lose your soul if you don't change. You need to repent. You need to come back and you need to pray for forgiveness. You know, Peter didn't say, come on, Simon, let's go back down to the river and baptize you once again. Let's wash away those sins. But No, because he was already a Christian, a believing Christian, a baptized believer. Peter said to him, you need to repent and pray that God will forgive you. Again, to the non-Christian, Peter says, repent and be baptized. But to the Christian, he says, repent and pray. The, the second law of pardon applies to all who have been baptized. Uh, John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, you know, we have an advocate with the Father. That is Jesus Christ. Right? When, we, uh, when we sin and fall short as New Testament Christians, we go to the advocate. We go to the Father in prayer, and Jesus on our behalf uh, will, will forgive us of, a, of those sins if we are continued walking in the light. That's another one of these uh, Gospels in five seconds. Contained in the second covenant, commanded by a second birth, offered in a second law of pardon. Fourth, promising a second coming of Jesus. You know, the Gospel promises this, right? Talk about motivation, right? Life after death, hope after the grave. But Jesus continually warns those that he spoke to, you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready for this day. If you're in Acts, turn all the way back to Acts chapter one. Let's look at a couple of passages here in Acts chapter one. You know, J- Jesus ha- has uh, died. He-, he has been buried. He has resurrected. Uh, we know that his time uh, on earth is short, shortly about to uh, transpire here in Acts chapter one. And Jesus commands his disciples. He tells them here, uh, you guys stay in Jerusalem. Right. Uh, uh, in a few days, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and the remotest parts of the world. And then look at verse nine. It says, "And after he had said these things, he was lifted up, while they were looking on. A cloud received him out of their sight." You ever bought a uh, helium-filled balloon for your child, and what happens? What tends to happen when they go outside? You know, they let go. And the balloon starts to, you know, float uh, farther and farther away. And that's what, you know, we can imagine was happening to Jesus at this time. That he was uh, uh, levitating and he just kept going further and further and further out of their sight. And verse 10 says, And as they were gazing intently into the sky while, they, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothes stood beside them. And they said to him, they said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Men, why are you just standing there watching him ascend into heaven? The angel says if we're in the same way, that's the same way as he will descend. He is coming back. Right, The gospel, that he is coming back, the second coming of Jesus. The Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28 said, you know, it's appointed for men to die once, and then comes the judgment. And then after that he says, and he will appear a second time for salvation to those who eagerly await him you know, for, the, for the Christian. And I know this point is a little bit shorter here this morning, but the second coming is something... To Look forward to not a day goes by that the christian should not be thinking about jesus's return about him coming back Because he's again. He says he is coming back for those who eagerly await him Well, the fifth second that we want to notice here this morning is that there is a warning in the gospel of a second death A second death, you know both of these last points are meant to be motivation, you know again second coming He's coming back be ready But if you don't obey the gospel, we're told uh, there is a second death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of life is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have an opportunity to choose eternal life or eternal death. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. This will be the last passage we look at this morning. uh, In Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11, the apostle John, he's been given this vision Uh, This vision uh, that he is writing down for us. And here in chapter 20, starting in verse 11, uh, he's uh, before the throne room, throne room of God. And notice what he writes. He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. Again, before the judgment uh, seat of God, before his throne room, uh, John sees this book that's open and it's the book of life. And he tells us if our names were not written in those books, then we are going to take part in the second death. The lake of fire. You know, this isn't a physical death, but a spiritual death. This is what the Bible is describing hell. the, The lake of fire. Notice chapter 21, verse 8. Again, here he's listing those who will partake in the lake of fire. He says, But the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and the murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know, someone once said, You know, in this life, you want to be, um, or if you've only been born once you're going to die twice. Right? If you've only partaken of that physical death or physical birth in this life, you're going to die physically and you're going to die spiritually. But if you have been born twice in this life, then you're only going to die once. Right? Because if you've been born physically and spiritually uh, through the waters of baptism, then the, the second death will have no power over you. Uh, John also said in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, blessed are the dead, who Die in the Lord from now on, and that's where we want to be in the Lord. Well, th- th- this morning uh, we discussed the gospel in five seconds. We know that the God, uh, the God we serve is a God of second chances. You know, we don't have to look far, we can go to the book of Jonah to see that, we can think of Peter and his account. But there are some important facts about the gospel that can be summed up in five seconds. And again, uh, I'm hoping that this will help you in your evangelistic efforts to talk to others about the gospel. Uh, the, the, there is a second covenant. You know, th- these are the promises and laws that we are under today as Christians, the New Testament. There's a second birth that must take place, that we must be born again of water in the spirit to see the kingdom of God. That there is a second law of pardon for the Christian. That if we continue to walk in the light, that Jesus' blood will cleanse us of those sins as we pray for our forgiveness. There's a second coming. And we can take that to the bank here this morning. That he is coming back. And we need to be prepared for that. And then, of course, there is the second death. uh, The worst possible scenario. And that, of course, is separation. From my Creator, to live eternally away from the presence of my Creator. And in those five seconds, we see God's love for man and His plan for man to be reconciled to Him. And if you haven't responded to the gospel this morning, uh, my uh, prayer for you this morning is do not delay. Do not delay in obeying the gospel. You know, Paul wrote about the gospel in several different places. But specifically in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, he said that we need to obey the gospel. He said there's going to be a time when Jesus is going to come back with his angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And So what is the gospel? How do I obey the gospel? He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he delivered to them the gospel message. That was of first importance, he said. I also received it, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so you might still be thinking, well, how do I obey that? Well, again, Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, that we need to reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism. Paul says this morning, again, if you have not obeyed the gospel, we urge you this morning to consider those things, uh, to to become a child of God, to put Christ on in baptism, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and to live a life worthy of him. Uh, This morning, also, we offer the invitation to those uh, within the congregation who uh, need the prayers of the church, uh, who who need to ask for uh, forgiveness, uh, who uh, have has a known or, excuse me, has a need to make known, this is the time that we ask you to do this, as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.